Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. Today we are doing kind of a double episode. We will be talking about Ascension in year A, and we'll also do a little bit on the seventh Sunday of Easter in year A. And maybe I can just explain a rationale in doing that. Um, Many churches and preachers might be picking one or the other of those. Um, You might have a dedicated Ascension service on Ascension Day or Ascension Evening itself, and then uh, have the service the following Sunday be the seventh Sunday of Easter. But I know in many places, um, there is no separate Ascension service on Ascension Day, so it's transferred the observances to the uh, Sunday right after to Easter 7. So many pastors are, are picking one of the two Sundays or sets of readings to work with. So that's kind of our rationale. So what we will do is talk about uh, Ascension first, uh, but then at the end, we will go back and spend a few minutes discussing John 17, and the Easter uh, 7a readings also. So let's uh, get started. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. And uh, for this He Lives series, we've had with us, and we have with us again, Pastor Tyler Peel from Prince of Peace in Salt Lake City, and Pastor Brett Krause from Zion in Denver. Also with us today, Professor David Bivens uh, from the seminary. So thanks to all of you guys for being with us today. Uh, Brett Krause, could you give us a few words on the emphasis for ascension in year A? Sure. Thanks, John. So as we're continuing with the He Lives theme, the theme for ascension is He Lives to Rule All Things for the Church. And Ascension Day really gives us two main things to focus on when it comes to Jesus' work. I guess you could say Ascension Day makes two main statements about Jesus' work. The first statement is the completed work of Jesus on earth, and then at the same time, the continued work that Jesus does from heaven. Um, and those are, those are very simple truths, I guess you could say, but Ascension Day allows us to talk to our people about those simple truths in very deep and meaningful ways. So when you think about Jesus' completed work on earth, here's the one true God who, in order to rescue us from our sins, took on flesh just like ours, and then he willingly set aside his divine power and glory for a time. Still had it, but wasn't making full and constant use of it anymore. And again, the goal of that was to rescue us from our sins. We've been studying that you know, throughout the church here, uh, the season of Lent, and now the season of Easter. He lived, he died, he rose for us. Ascension Day marks the beautiful truth that that work was finished. It's done. And because it was done, Jesus felt comfortable leaving, no unfinished business. Um, And Ascension Day allows us to celebrate that. But at the same time, the the other side of that coin is the the continued work that Jesus' ascension uh, marks, the continued work that he does from his heavenly Father's side. And you just think about the beautiful correlation between all those things about Jesus that we just said in his completed work, the one true God who took on flesh. When Jesus ascended back into heaven, the now God-man Jesus said, I'm going to keep my humanity, and I'm going to keep it for the rest of eternity, but I'm also going to take up full and constant use of my divine power, majesty, and glory once again. And that, too, has a purpose. It's so that I can continue living and reigning and ruling uh, over everything for the benefit of, of us, his church. 
for our spiritual and eternal good. Uh, another way to say that, Jesus did his work on earth for us, and now Jesus continues to do his work at his Father's side through us. Um, and as we dig into the texts more today, we'll see that he equips us with the gifts to do that, uh, to be his witnesses in the world. Thank you, Brett. Uh, Tyler Peel, could we go to you next just for a few words on the other scripture readings? Um, we'll be focusing on the Luke 24 uh, gospel for Ascension Day um, as our sermon text today, but could you uh, put those in the context for us uh, of the first and second readings for the day? Yeah, gladly. The, uh, at least a couple of the gospels, and we'll get to Luke 24 today, have the account of the ascension of our Lord, but maybe Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11, which is the first reading for the ascension, um, is the most familiar. Um, so it is um, actually the sequel to the book of Luke, but it comes first on this particular Sunday, and it's a recap uh, of what Luke had, where le Luke had left off, but then also fills in more of the details uh, about the ascension and the um, things immediately after the ascension. This is Jesus giving instructions that the disciples uh, follow and uh, more promises and the spirit. Um, so it kicks off the church that we spent time in this Easter season talking about the, the eyewitness accounts and the building of the church that way and how the word as they witnessed went viral to build the church um, with power from on high. The, this, this right at the beginning of the book of Acts is this answer to um, now what, I suppose, after Jesus has, as Brett said, accomplished everything, what's he going to do with us now? And I guess um, by verse seven, verse eight, maybe in Acts, you, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. So um, the Lord has a plan now and you are the plan. Um, I hope that <clears throat> you know, the, the people on Ascension can hear some gospel in that. It's not simply get out there and do this. It's not, um, thankfully, you better have 400 converts by Friday or something like that. But just that I want you uh, to have this divine purpose to um, have me in you and with you and then tell of what happened. So, Jesus commissions them, and then he is taken up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. I think that's a, one of the interesting details in this account. There always seems to be a cloud when um, God goes up to meet man, if you think about the transfiguration or Moses at Sinai. And then angels, of course, too, at the big events. So these two men uh, dressed in white stand there um, beside them and say, why do you stand here looking in, in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Um, so already there are gifts there as Brett was kind of uh, leading us into the, the ascension of our Lord is filled with gifts. And that's really um, the second lesson from Ephesians chapter one, a wonderful match, I think, with the gospel and the first reading from Acts. This is um, where we get the session, the seating of our Lord at his father's right hand. Um, I think I re remember Luther um, speaking about how if Jesus has just ascended to heaven, well, 
So what? So did Elijah or someone else, but he's actually ascended to this place where of majesty, um, where he sits to rule and to reign. Um, so this gives us a little glimpse at the other side of the cloud, maybe when he, the king has come home. And then in this text from Ephesians 1, Paul just kind of dumps out gifts um, that would come from this wonderful story of Jesus completed his work, but continuing his work from the right hand, there's the spirit and wisdom and your eyes are opened and enlightened. And then maybe the best of it um, that Jesus has you in his incomparably great power. Uh, and he even says that power is for us. Um, the same power that raised him and seated him there um, is the power at work for us in his church. So those are a couple things about those lessons leading toward the gospel. Excellent. Very helpful. Um, David Bivens, could we go to you now to get us thinking about the gospel for the day, which will uh, be our sermon text in this series? So Luke uh, 24, beginning at verse 44 and continuing all the way to the end of the gospel. Um, just yeah, what do you note as you go through this text uh, that might be of use to preachers? Thank you. Um, you know, it's a ascension. Uh, it, it's one of those wonderful days of the year that we get excited about, about talking about, preaching about. I think sometimes we, we maybe complain a little bit that the ascension day, the the Thursday that it falls on maybe loses some uh, some prestige over the years, and, and it gets relegated to a Sunday. Um, at least we, we we can maintain what it's all about. And obviously, looking at Luke, um, we have a kind of a unique vantage point. Luke, being the author of both his gospel and of, of, of the Book of Acts, um, he kind of is signaling this: the, the ascension is this transitional uh, part, this uh, this important moment in the lives of the disciples and of the early Christian church, uh, and then obviously in our lives as well. Uh, what jumps out? You, you have Jesus speaking to his disciples at the end of, of Luke's gospel, and I think one of the, the phrases that, that, that sounds just so much like Luke, but is worth talking a little bit about, is, is just uh, the whole concept of opening their minds. He uses that phrase uh, a couple of times, so in verse 44, um, Jesus is speaking. He said to them, um, oh, excuse me, verse 45, uh, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Um, it's not unlike the same words that he used to the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus just a chapter before. Um, you hear that, that same verb used twice of opening their minds. Um, how often the disciples needed to be reminded of what necessarily had to happen, what was the plan from the beginning. And, and so Jesus walked him through it with the road, uh, with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he is explaining it to these disciples as well at the moment of, of the ascension. Um, I just think it's, it's a fascinating thing because without an, a, a spiritually open mind, and I think you know what I mean by that, it's not maybe how society would interpret that, but a a mind that is open because through conversion and through the illumination of the gospel, uh, we are now in tune with that, which, which God would have us know. I think then we can really understand what the ascension is all about. Um, without having a, a mind opened by scriptures and by God, 
um, maybe we would arrive at the wrong conclusions about what happened with the ascension. I think this is where people would say, well, why did Jesus abandon us? Uh, why did he have to go away? Um, uh, we have to go it alone now. And of course, those would be arriving, arriving at the wrong conclusions. Um, but Jesus says, you need to, to have your minds opened. And this is what you will see. Christ will suffer. Check. He'll rise from the dead on the third day. Check. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And it's, well, we've begun. <laughs> um, and, and now it's kind of the, the baton is being passed from Jesus to, to the Christian church and saying, um, the work of salvation is done, but you get the privilege of being my witnesses. And as you're doing that, I will take my rightful spot in heaven. And I will be supervising the work uh, as a as your Lord and Savior. And and I think it takes the illuminated mind to recognize that the ascension is really a, an exciting time where we get to to serve as our roles of letting our light shine and being witnesses and all the the positive ways that comes with it, uh, rather than a negative of well, why did he have to go away? Um, other things that I might note in the the text here is. In verse 49, um, where Jesus is, is talking about, uh, I am sending uh, the literally the promise of my father uh, to you. And it's a present tense. This is something that I'm going to keep sending to you. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to go away, but, but I have a plan. And I'm going to make good on the promise that I have made you and that my father has made to you. And you just can't help but but have, think the disciples are going right back to the upper room uh, when they're hearing about the promise of the counselor coming um, and they're hearing about all the good things that the counselor would bring with them, the paraclete. And they're, they're saying, this is, it's time to make good on that. And Jesus is, is directing them to, to the reality that there are a lot of good things to come yet, even though he physically would be um, removing himself from their presence. And then maybe the last thing I would highlight are just in the last two verses, uh, Luke's brief account of the, uh, the actual ascension, um, the reaction of the disciples. Um, with great joy, they worshiped him as he was ascending into heaven. And then immediately following that, it says they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Um, I just couldn't help but, but think of the difference. The last time that they thought they lost Jesus, which would be at the crucifixion, uh, their reaction was anything but positive. And now they lose Jesus, quote unquote, lose Jesus again. And what are they doing? They can't stop worshiping and praising him because they get it. Uh, their, 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 their minds were opened. They, they see the gospel for what it is, a victorious savior who's not abandoning them, but rather um, instituting a new era in the Christian church and they are worshiping, uh, which is exactly what I pray uh, we are, are doing as well. So those are just a couple of thoughts. Thank you for those, Dave. Um, Brett, Tyler, uh, want to add some thoughts to what Dave said or uh, introduce some new angles that you considered as you were looking through this text? Brett? Yeah, building off a couple of the things that David was speaking of there. We've been seeing this throughout the Easter season. So Jesus has completed his work, but, but we get this 
this constant growth, I think, in the disciples who have to have to go through this this period of, of coming to an understanding, confusion that still needs clearing up, um, an understanding of of what Jesus was here to do as the Messiah. And throughout the Easter season, and it culminates on Ascension Day, um, Jesus just continues to patiently instruct. And that's something that carried over from his ministry before he died to now these 40 days. And something that continues on with the New Testament church is the necessity to teach. Uh, Jesus highlights the necessity to teach. And of course, he shows us what to teach. It's the scriptures. And as David pointed out, what does he go to? He goes to what did the Messiah do? He had to suffer. He had to rise. Uh, and then that message leads to the forgiveness of sins that now gets preached to the entire world. And you disciples whom I'm informing about these things uh, now get to be the ones who inform others. So I just think of Jesus' work with them as he opens the scriptures to them. It accomplishes two things. It comforts them with his completed work. Uh, he suffered, died, rose for their forgiveness. And then as he opened those very same scriptures to them, they became well-informed witnesses so that they could go and preach these things to the world. And maybe just building off of that thought of a, a, a common ascension question, oh, Jesus is leaving. Is he abandoning the disciples? Is he abandoning his church? Kind of a neat thing to think about is why did Jesus ascend? He trusted himself enough to ascend. Uh, he trusted his scriptures enough to ascend. So he, the scriptures, they had the power to continue to do this work, even through weak and feeble and, and ignorant disciples, because the Spirit was going to accomplish that work. And a lot of those texts, I think, Luke, or a lot of those thoughts Luke brings out uh, in this text here. Thank you. So, yeah, noting the, the growth that the Holy Spirit is producing in the disciples. Uh, Tyler? Um, yeah, maybe just on that, since you just said it, I their minds are open. I, we've been playing on that. And big surprise, it's as he spoke to them, right? Brett's a teaching um, in the word. And they, they grab this new hermeneutic, I suppose, huh? that to see me at the center of everything, says the Messiah, my life, my death, my resurrection. Um, and then as uh, Professor Bivens was saying, look, this just began. Now I'm sliding over. In fact, that's a, another interesting word in that Acts text that we usually notice. Um we were talking in, in Luke about everything Jesus began to do, but now it's not his, uh, the line I think is not his retirement, but his enthronement um, where he will rule from a new place. So what's there, they've been open, but what's really different, I suppose, at the end, it strikes me of this text, because they're hopping along with this great joy, they're worshiping him, they're blessing him, because they've learned to take him at his word, because they're holding on to the promise now that uh, he's going to do what he said, huh? Um, that the power of the spirit working there. I did one of the things that um, I noticed because I think I read an article uh, on Ascension just recently that pointed it out. There's really, I guess, in the last Sundays of Easter, but specifically on the day of Ascension, we have a neat opportunity to see Christ in the roles of prophet and priest and king. Um, in a really beautiful way. So even in this Luke text, um, he's here as the prophet 
who is teaching them and, and opening their minds, but also handing that over to them to be the witnesses. Uh, he will work through them. Uh, and then, of course, he's the king in the sense that he um, goes up through the ranks and is seated at the right hand, the prince of heaven. And then um, the priest shows up at the end, too. Uh, he raised his hand and blessed them, which takes us back to number six, where the priest was the one to uh, give the blessing. Um, but but also, I, I just, yeah, I'm just saying to preachers, I think that I've noticed it now more in the, in the last Sundays of Easter as well. So th those are great things. I was going to say one thing uh, because it just sticks with me. I've, I read a few Luther's, of Luther's Ascension sermons, and we've talked for a moment about, is he gone or what? And uh, Luther's line is basically, if he was here, he would be farther from us. Now that he's gone, he can be nearer to us. Um, kind of the, if... If the Lord Jesus is here, he either can either be here in Salt Lake City with me or in Tahiti, but um, not both places at one time. He's ascended where to the place uh, where he can be with us all the time. Now, that said, of course, he would be in Tahiti, but um, <laughs> thankfully, he doesn't have to make that decision. Uh, Dave? Yeah, to, to that thought, maybe just kind of piggybacking on, on it a little bit. Uh, we've talked a little bit about maybe that obvious question that, that people ask, but, but really, um, you know, a false understanding of, of ascension about Christ didn't abandon, the disciples didn't abandon his church. But I think it really shows just the, the, the ability to think more clearly once the gospel is in our hearts and, and, and understanding the big picture as Christ would have us understand. He didn't abandon his church, but he empowered his church. Um, it is really just an amazing gospel thought uh, this this comes out in different times during the church year as well, but this is God, the creator of the world, the redeemer of the world, uh, telling the church that we get to be his witnesses, um, as opposed to just doing it himself. And yet he is doing it uh, through, through his church, um, and he's coordinating it on high. But I think that just totally shifts the emphasis on an Ascension Day service to We've been empowered to do this. We've been brought to faith. We've been entrusted with these gifts. Um, we we are able to be his witnesses. And I think one of one of the lines that was mentioned, you know, well-trained witnesses. Um, I just wonder how well-trained they were in the eyes of the world. They, they didn't go to school, but but as you guys have been been hitting on, um, they had the word, and they learned to listen to the word. And so you, you think of the, the members sitting in the pews and you're, you're wondering, um, how are they going to be the witnesses or they might be thinking it themselves? Uh, they're as well equipped as anyone uh, in that they, they know the message of salvation and they can communicate um, what, what forgiveness of sins is all about as found in Christ. Um, we've been empowered to do this is kind of an exciting uh, preaching value for, for the ascension of our Lord. Yeah, we can see ourselves and the people to whom we're preaching, I think, in light of the disciples, right? Uh, we need our minds to be open, but they have been by the Spirit. Uh, we need <clears throat> to be equipped by the living, ascended Christ and empowered and uh, safeguarded by him. Uh, but we are all those things right now, right? Um, yeah, beautiful gospel thoughts. Um could I just uh, ask you, we've, we've hit on yeah, several kind of powerful gospel images here in this text. Um, how are you going to go about kind of addressing law gospel themes? Um, uh, Brett? 
Yeah, really, if you take what David was just talking about and you flip it first to the idea of the human heart, my sinful heart, thinking I am completely incapable of being Christ's witness um, and that that kind of false humility of little old me, what do I have to contribute to to the work of being Christ's witness in the world? But when you take Jesus at his word, Tyler was talking about that, we get to take our Savior at his word. Um, the law can be we're, we're not taking Jesus at his word, because if I think of little old me as little old me and everything depends on me, so maybe there's even a false pride there about being Christ's witness, uh, then the work suddenly becomes too intimidating, too impossible. Um, and oftentimes, maybe all of those excuses are just a cover for laziness in the work of God's kingdom, uh, fear about what might happen to me as I be Christ's witness in the world, uh, in God's kingdom. And, and we can really hit sinful hearts with, with those messages. And then as as the guys have been talking about the beautiful message of the gospel that cures those maladies is going back to Jesus words and him reminding us, this is still my work. It's still my word that you get to share. I'm sending you my Holy spirit. He equips you with all of the gifts to do this. And we'll obviously hit more on that when we talk through Pentecost uh, next week. But those beautiful gospel promises of Jesus being with us at the right hand of the Father, enabling us through his spirit, um, all of those things cure, cure those maladies. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Uh, Tyler? Yeah, I absolutely on the witness thing. There, I think maybe another thing is that this is the day that exalts humanity, right? Uh, human beings they go to the right hand of God in the sense that Christ is also a man. Um, but it also is the day that reminds us another day that reminds us that we're, we are just humans and he is the exalted one, um, which is, I, I think uh, Dave was making that point, you know, we, you can relax. And I, I grabbed a, a quote from N.T. Wright that I really appreciate, um, especially for people like me and you and the rest of us who are caught up in a, a performance, right? Um, we, uh, someone said to me, you Lutherans are good at saying Jesus did everything, but then acting like it's all on you. Uh, well, sure, we are making it about us. But here's his line. To embrace the ascension is to heave a sigh of relief, to give up the struggle to be God, and with it the inevitable despair at our constant failure, and instead to enjoy our status as creatures, image-bearing creatures, but creatures nonetheless. So uh, that's a kind of a fun way to think about ascension for me, to sigh of relief. Uh, Jesus did, and he knows it, and his grace is secure enough. He can remove his visible presence for this time and still uh, be our Lord. Yeah, cool. Uh, Dave, additional thought? Yeah, maybe just, just to, again, uh, add on to, to the good things that are, are being said. You know, I think an obvious malady or, or, or area for preaching of the law is just the flip side of having your mind opened is just um, for as smart as the world likes to think they are or, or we are in our sinful nature um, it's just a good good opportunity to remind people of, of how closed our minds are to spiritual things naturally and I keep going back to if if ascension is not something that 
you are longing to celebrate, it might indicate that you're not getting it. And so what's the solution to allow scripture to be heard and to be communicated? And, and that's our opportunity as preachers is to say, ascension is an exciting thing. Um, this is what it means. Um, and I think part of what it means is communicating that if ascension doesn't happen in a way that's saying Christ's work of saving us is still like not complete. Um, and, and I think there are some Christians who would be very comfortable saying that, but we're very comfortable saying, no, mission accomplished with our Savior. He came, he, 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 he gave his life in a perfect way. Uh, he, he met all the requirements. Our salvation is secure. Um, that part is done. What we get to do isn't in the realm of saving ourselves, but in communicating what Christ has done to others. Um, and I think the Ascension is a natural time just to bring, bring up that transitional moment. Thanks. Yeah, also good thoughts. Yeah, I, I think there's just an opportunity on Ascension um, to, uh, you've mentioned it already, say, what is this all about? Uh, what, what is happening here? And then to show all the gospel truths that are flowing out of, of this event um, into the lives of people. Um, uh, great thoughts. Any theme ideas that you're kind of working with at this point, or maybe potential suggestions, uh, Brett? Well, I kind of liked Tyler's when he was quoting that idea of ascension brings this sigh of relief. I don't know, maybe there's a way to incorporate something like that into a theme. Mm -hmm. And then you could, you could preach a sermon that emphasizes a sigh of relief because of the completed work of Christ and a sigh of relief because the continued work of Christ that we do, it's still him doing it through us. Yeah. Um, or if you don't want to use that phraseology, maybe there's a neat thought about, you know, the church has unfinished work and that work is to proclaim the finished work of Christ. So to mm -hmm. kind of play on those things, or if you want to make it more Christocentric, Christ has unfinished work to proclaim his finished work. And it allows you to, to talk about both of those things, the peace and the comfort we have because of the finished work and the joy that the disciples had and that we have in, in being Christ's instruments mm -hmm. in his unfinished work of proclaiming his finished work to the world. Right. Yeah. Worldwide work to do yet still breathing a sigh of relief that it is Christ uh, who gives the power and is working through us. Tyler. As we've talked about 10 more of them have come up. So this is great. I, but I had thought about the blessing that comes up at least three times in the last three verses. Um, so maybe a, a theme while he was blessing them, an opportunity to talk about uh, what has ended, but what hasn't, he hasn't stopped blessing the church. Uh, mm -hmm. Another one I had was the ending and the unending of Christmas, because um, this ties us backward to Christmas. He lifted his hands and blessed them. There was a time when he didn't have hands. And then those hands were here and they were nailed, but then they were alive. Put your finger here and see these hands. And then he lifted them to bless them. So the ending of Christmas in the sense of the work complete, as we've been saying, but also the work begun um, and the, the seating of um, the God man at the right hand. Yeah, a few. Yeah, so a kind of the, the hand as uh um, sort of a, a central image that can kind of allow you to, to, to tie a lot of things together in the, the life and uh, work of the incarnate Savior. 
Yeah, and be, being the hands and feet of Christ now as the church, right? Right. right. Dave? Yeah, I think you guys are, I, I love what I'm hearing from you. You guys are a little more creative than I, which uh, is, is a good thing. Um, I, I just think of, when I think of Ascension Day and I think of what people normally might, what conclusions they might come to, there's a need for clarity, right? Um, and so that would have been a theme that I, I was thinking of. Ascension Day brings clarity or something like that. Um, is there, or, or clarity found in the clouds, um, if you are, uh, thinking of, of the disciples looking up, what, what does it what does it clarify? It reminds us of what Jesus came to do, and it reminds us of who of, of what or who we were made to be, um, or kind of that that same two part idea that you've all been touching on, but in different words of of the completion of salvation, but the ongoing work of the ministry of the church and of, of witnessing. Um, I just think that looking to the clouds might be a nebulous thought for many, but for us, it really kind of crystallizes um, what has happened and what what needs to happen as we move forward. Great ideas. Uh, well, if there's nothing more on Ascension, well, I mean, there's a, a million more things <laughs> we could say, right? But uh, let's go on to touch on uh Seventh Sunday of Easter a little bit, um, in the event that preachers are working with this text or that they are going to be having both Ascension and Easter 7, um, let's talk about that a little bit, and let's just kind of go around, but maybe in, in a, a little shorter form uh, of what we just did with Ascension. Um, so we'll go to, uh, to Brett, maybe. Could you just tell us a few words about the seventh Sunday of Easter and kind of the, the main theme that's coming across in year eight? Uh, get us started in that way. Yeah, sure. Uh, the theme for seven Easter seven is he lives to give me eager expectation of glory. And there's just a lot of that theme, obviously, that's coming from the gospel from St. John 17. Um, eager expectation. So there's an idea of waiting there. And I think Easter seven is often even called waiting Sunday. And that theme comes out in if you celebrated Ascension on Thursday, you're doing Easter 7 on Sunday, it would have been in that 10-day window between day 40 Ascension, day 50 Pentecost, where the disciples were literally obeying Jesus' command to wait. Uh, they were waiting for Jesus to keep his promise to pour out the Holy Spirit so they could go about doing all that work we just talked about uh, on Ascension. And there's a tie-in to us, too, as we're in a sense the waiting church. We're waiting for Christ to keep his promise to return one day to bring us in glory. Uh, but a waiting church isn't a, an idle church. We're waiting in eager expectation of that glory. We just talked about all the witnessing we get to do uh, during that time. And maybe something that comes out in some of the readings, especially the gospel, is it's still an eager expectation of glory, even as we suffer for the sake of Christ while we're still here on this side of heaven. And that's not a bad thing uh, because that just means we're following our suffering, dying, rising, ascending, reigning Savior. Uh, so there's definitely a first the cross, then the crown, first the suffering, then the glory focus for this week. And all those things kind of uh, especially come out in the gospel. Thank you. And uh, Tyler, could you uh, talk to us a little bit about the first and second readings for Easter 7? 
Yeah, I I wanted I appreciate what Brett said. Uh, it's kind of a neat thing to think about. Maybe a little bit for this Sunday, the church has given us a liturgical calendar that does. This is the one section where we're in real time from Palm Sunday to Pentecost. It's the the actual uh, the day Jesus did this and the day Jesus did that. On the I he you know I think Brett just nailed it really well with the the waiting and the eagerness. So I'll just quickly give you the other two lessons. I think you can easily see how they fit in there. Uh, Acts 1 to 12 to 26 picks up where Ascension text left off. Now they're, they're waiting with this promise from the Spirit. The disciples go back. They pray. They got a congregation of about 120. Um, Peter leads them in a text from the Psalms. They recognize the need to replace Judas. They lay down requirements for that, ask the Lord to show them uh, between Matthias and Joseph. And they cast lots and Judas is replaced. But I think maybe the thing that stands out, uh, one of the things that stands out is that they waited waited is that they did what the Lord told them to do, which isn't uh, the usual story with these guys. Then also a text from first Peter. Uh, there's some verses selected from chapters four and five. And I might call this waiting with the promises for the glory. Um, it's back as Peter's been weaving the, the theme of, of suffering with Christ. We're back in that in chapter four and five here. It's, a, he's talking to us about joy, even in trials that the Lord can strengthen and humble and bless us through that. And this wonderful invitation to throw our anxiety onto him, uh, hold him to the promise that he cares for you. There's nothing Jesus hasn't, you suffer that Jesus hasn't. And after a little while, um, he brings us low in humility, will lift us up. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I like that, that Acts reading here, right? It is in real time. What happened between the Ascension and Pentecost? Well, it was the calling of Matthias. And so we've got it right here in the same time frame. Um, Dave, could you talk to us a little bit about John 17, 1 to 11, or just get us started with a few thoughts, and then we can go to uh, maybe, I know Brett uh, indicated he had some thoughts there too, or so hand it off as quickly as you'd like to. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. There's there's obviously a, a ton in this text as far as John 17, 1 to 11, uh, A, I believe, goes, and uh, maybe just highlight the, the idea of of glory. Uh, if the theme for the Sunday is he lives to give me eager expectation of glory, you just see the refrain, especially in the, the first verses of this section, um, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Um, you, you, you now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Just the idea of glory and it's juxtaposed with how the world would view glory. Um, this is the glory of, of the Son of God who, who had glory from the beginning of all time, uh, from creation, um, because he is true God, um, wanting to give glory to his Father by carrying out the work of, of dying on the cross. Um, and so just the idea of um, not only eager expectation for glory or of glory, but maybe a, a, a real expectation of what is glorious in God's sight um, as it prepares us for glorifying God for eternity uh, when we are in glory. And so there's just a lot with that word glory that's in play here and worth exploring with your people on a, on a Sunday morning as we, we patiently wait for it. I'll leave it at that. 
Yeah, thank you. That is, uh, it is fascinating in this text, the the prominence of that word glory, but then you consider the scene. Um, it's less than 24 hours before the cross. Uh, how does that fit together? So just an opportunity to explain, here's what God glories in. Uh, here's what, what what the glory of Jesus is. Um, you know, other Sundays we touch on that theme too, but just kind of the, the, uh, the glory that God shows is different than worldly definitions of glory. Uh, but I'll stop there. Brett, uh, do you have some thoughts that you could uh, help preachers with? Sure. Yeah, Dave said it right when there, he said there's so much in this text. We, we normally think of the Gospels as narrative, storytelling, the history of Jesus' life and work. Um, a lot of this you know, discourse of Jesus in John before he, he died reads a lot more like an epistle, I think. <clears throat> and that, that to me always makes it tougher. Every word, every verse phrase is so packed with meaning. So how do you unpack that in a, these deep thoughts in a simple way for, for your people? And you just simply, you look at the words that Jesus is saying and a couple things come to mind that just bring so much comfort. And Dave highlighted a lot of them. But here's an intimate conversation between God the Father and God the Son here. The night before Jesus died, he's literally, his arresters are on their way to come and get him. And he's just taking this moment to have a, an intimately joyful conversation with his heavenly Father about the two of them being glorified in a sense. And again, as Dave said, what is it that brings God the greatest glory, the one true God who owns everything, who created everything. And yet here he says, my greatest glory is to save mankind. The, the human beings that ran away from me in their sinfulness, my greatest glory is to bring them back. So the father says, I'm going to send my son to do that work. And that's going to give me greatest glory. And then the son says what glorifies the Father that glorifies me, um, I find my greatest glory in the cross. That's maybe a lot of what gets highlighted in that first paragraph, the first half of the text. And then in the second half, you get that same thought. Um, you know, just how deeply Father, Son, Holy Spirit care about us. In verse 6, Jesus talks about us being a gift that the heavenly father gave to him. So what a neat thing to think of yourself as a gift that God, the father gave to God, the son and God, the son found so much treasure in that gift that he was willing to die for it. And then to make sure that we, we remained his own. So it's, it's almost like Jesus is saying to his father, what's yours is mine. And these people are yours. So these people are mine too. Um, that is just such a great comfort, especially as we think about here's the, the risen Lord Jesus who's ascending back into heaven, like we just discussed, but not abandoning us. This is how he feels about us. And a lot of great, just practical comfort that can come through Jesus' words here. Great. Any ideas on uh, just kind of law gospel preaching from this text or uh, what you would encourage preachers um, to think about? Maybe some ideas, approaches, Dave? I just think one of the, the context, again, is Jesus praying to his Father in heaven. And 
Um, I think that it sounds interesting to pose to your congregation, uh, how often are you praying to be glorified? How often are you praying for glory? Because when the world thinks of praying for glory, I think the world, our sinful nature would love, but we're all about let's be glorified. There's definitely law that can be preached in uh, the selfish glory that we all crave in the eyes of the world. Um, and yet explaining the beauty of the glory um, that, that the son is asking the father for, it's all that he might be glorified so that he can bring glory to the father. Um, and, and you think of a prayer for glory. What does that look like in our life that our lives might be used to glorify the work of the father and the work of the son on our behalf to bring glory to the one who has saved us. Um, I think following that line of thought provides plenty of opportunities for law and gospel. As we think about the different ways glory is used in the world versus how um, our savior is using it here. Thanks. Good idea. Uh, Brett. And I'll just quickly build off of that thought because when Jesus talks about how he cares for us, I think it, it feeds off of that. You know, we can be tempted to think, yeah, if God's really going to glorify me, he's going to make my life better, uh, problem free, or maybe just take me to glory right now. And Jesus confronts that thought by telling us, I'm, I'm not going to take you out of the world. So that's a, a concept that he talks about at the end of the text uh, how does Jesus, our risen, ascended Lord Jesus, care for us? Uh, I'm going to keep you in the world. You are still in the world, he says to his disciples. I'm coming to you, Father, but we're going to keep these disciples, these believers in the world. Um, and there may be a lot of suffering that they go through, uh, but that doesn't mean that, that our God isn't caring for us. It doesn't mean that he's not glorifying us. In fact, it means that we're receiving greatest glory because we're following our Savior. Again, first the suffering, then the glory, first the cross, then the crown. And as Dave said better than I did, there's a lot of law gospel themes that can come out of that. Excellent. Yeah. Tyler? Yeah, I think um, the, the prayer also catches me, and Dave was starting on that, but, you know, who doesn't recognize um, the gap in themselves between what they want to have as a prayer life and what they actually have? And so... Um, the act of obedience of Christ here too, huh? just that he, uh, your track record in prayer is perfect by his intercession and uh, ties in very nicely to this spot in the year, Ascension, Jesus, one of the great gifts is that he sits at the right hand to intercede for us still hasn't, hasn't stopped. Um, it's a nice thing to say, I'll be praying for you, but it's a whole lot more to say Jesus is praying for you. Um, and then I, I think that also ties into what Brett was saying earlier about just the joy of listening to the way that Jesus speaks about us uh, in his prayer to the Father. Thank you. Yeah. So opportunities for law gospel thoughts in these kind of two sections of the text here in John 17, 1 through 11a. Um, it, theme ideas or maybe not yet at this stage or just uh, even something in rough form that can get the wheels turning a little bit. Anyone have anything to offer preachers as they work with this text a little bit? Brett? I don't know if I have any great catchy thoughts, but there's probably a way to talk about just this beautiful, intimate connection between father and son that's shared in how they're glorified in our salvation. And then 
by extension, this beautiful, intimate relationship that's shared between God and us. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I don't have anything catchy at the moment, but but something that highlights those beautifully intimate relationships that that are celebrated because of the work of Christ. Good idea. Uh, uh, Dave, another one. Yeah, I, I, I think if if we if our preachers are, are tying themselves to the theme that has been given for the Sunday of he lives to give me eager expectation of glory. I just, uh, I think we all know graduates of Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, how, uh, how cherish the hymn, Lord, when your glory I shall see as we hear the seminary chorus sing it and it, those words ring in our mind. Um, and, and I think that might be a, a good time to, to put some of that text in front of them and, and talk about, uh, the eager expectation of the glory, but then also that that's the eternal glory that we shall see in, in, in full, the full glory, uh, but then turn it back to already seeing the glory on display in, in the work that Christ uh, has accomplished. So just a, maybe a, a time to, to incorporate that text. Thank you. Yeah. Seeing just something like Jesus prays for glory, um, and then you have the opportunity to, to address all these things, what he does not mean, what he does mean, the implications of that for those relationships we talked about him and the father, the father, the son, and us, uh, his people. Uh, right. Yeah. But lots of opportunities there to talk about this beautiful prayer. Well, we've, we've spent a lot of time today. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, for this kind of double episode, uh, but hopefully giving you some food for thought preachers as you go about preaching on Ascension or Easter 7, or maybe both. Uh, the Lord bless you as you proclaim these truths about our risen, ascended, and ruling Savior to your people.